you know, it, it's it was simply a question of eliminating the competition, I think, um, you know, because uh, one, as one doctor said, if we accept this, the only people who get rich are the people who sell carrots. Okay, well, do something else then, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so it's do something else a bit more useful and less harmful. So anyway, that that is the story of his, but you know, from 1946 until his death in 1959, he wrote his book, his classic book, uh, Cancer Therapy, Results of 50 Cases. Hi everyone, I am Nicolette Richet and I'm your host of this Eat Real to Heal podcast. We've had this show for an entire year and over the past uh, 12 to 13 months, we have interviewed some of the most incredible humans on the planet. So doctors who specialized in food as medicine, healing heroes, so those people who actually had chronic generative diseases diagnosed by their doctor and then they went ahead and learned about food as medicine and reversed their disease so check out all of those podcasts prior to today's amazing show and on today's show i am so honored to have margaret strauss as our guest now some of you may not know who she is but she is a legend and she is actually dr max gerson's granddaughter but what a lot of people don't know about uh, Margaret Strauss is that she is a renegade. She's on fire. This woman is in her 70s, but she literally has the energy of a 25-year-old. But that's a healthy 25-year-old. Not those sick and tired 25-year-olds who don't eat well, but the kind kinds that use real food as medicine. So Margaret Strauss, she is the president of the Max Gerson Foundation. And prior to that, she has been driving the Gerson therapy in Italy and in Europe. Now, she ended up writing an article years back for a natural medicine magazine, and it exploded. It took off, and so many people gained interest in the Gerson therapy in Europe. After that, she moved to Italy, and where she is supporting the Hungary Clinic, where she is supporting medical doctors in learning about nutritional medicine and the Gerson therapy, and she's a huge support to patients around the world. Now, Margaret and I, we chat about a lot of really good topics on this show. So let me just run through those. We talk about, you know, German soldiers eating plant-based food during World War II. We talk about, you know, the questions of industrial interest and overcoming migraines using food as medicine and the history of Dr. Max Gerson, which everyone on the planet needs to know about. If you don't know about it, him, there is a feature film that's actually won an award for the um, for the short that was created by Nancy Kramer out of LA. So if you can watch that, please watch that to learn a little bit about Dr. Max Gerson himself. We talk about the diets and nutritional intake that people need to be uh, consuming and adopting now if they stand any chance at reversing disease. We talk about Dr. Dean Ornish and his incredible work in reversing diabetes and heart disease and now Alzheimer's and so much more. And we talk about the importance of reducing your protein because there's been a myth perpetuated over the last hundred years stating that we need 
protein when in fact, unless you're exercising over an hour a day, your protein intake really should be about 12% of your diet per day. And we talk about what it means to ignite cancer when you go over that limit. So so many other things that we chat about here in this podcast. Let's dive into it so you can hear directly from Margaret Strauss herself, the daughter of Dr. Max Gerson. Sorry, the granddaughter of Dr. Max Gerson. But before we dive in, let me just share a couple of announcements. One is that I am so excited to announce that we went all the way to New York where I got to work with this amazing group of healthcare practitioners, physiotherapists, acupuncturists, and we got to work with this team to teach them about food as medicine and how they can introduce nutritional healing of degenerative diseases, so the actual reversal of degenerative diseases into their clinics to support their patients. And so if you want to learn more about that, please check out our link and our website page at nicoletterichet.com and definitely send out send us a, a application to learn more about the program because we'd love to work with you this year. Another incredible announcement that we have is that we are going to be launching our 22 million campaign. Now to learn more about that, you're definitely have to going to have to keep following our podcast because we are going to be launching it on February 22nd, 2020. So 2022-2020, our 22 million campaign. And you're going to want to know about that because you're going to want to join, you're going to want to participate, you're going to be want you're going to want to be part of it because it is going to be a movement that changes the cancer and chronic disease epidemic. So stay tuned for that. Now let's dive into the show. Enjoy. So welcome, Margaret Strauss, to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. It is such a pleasure and an honor that you are taking the time to be on our show today. Thank you very much for having me. So Margaret, you are Dr. Max Gerson's granddaughter, the daughter of Charlotte Gerson, the sister to Howard Strauss. I mean, you are a legend in the world, and you are also one of the remaining Gerson people who are really carrying Dr. Max Gerson's name forward. Yes, we were, we were six uh, uh, grandchildren of Dr. Gerson. My mother had two sisters and um, uh, none of them really got much involved, uh, you know, in terms of promoting the therapy. Although obviously they have, uh, they have, benefited from it and they're you know they're enthusiastic about it uh so um but it was only my brother and i who actually worked and lectured and uh went into the book business and uh book business promoted the books i i worked on translating the books and uh and so on and there so, are how many books now <laughs> that's a good question uh, well, there's Howard's book, uh, Dr. Max Gerson, Healing the Hopeless, Howard yeah. Strauss, uh, which is a biography of Dr. Gerson. There's uh, Charlotte Gerson's book. Um, but there's also, the all these books are in multiple different languages as well. 
Yes, uh, there actually have been 20 uh, translations of Charlotte's book, all the major languages from Spanish to French to German to Arabic to Chinese to, uh, you know, it's pretty well available all over the world now. Yeah. And uh, this amazed her as well. But uh, Howard, Howard uh, took up the publishing of the book and he managed to uh, create contacts all over. And this was uh, this was quite exciting, and uh, we just got um, a request from Japan to publish his book, the biography. There's there are clinical settings, if not uh, approved clinics, in many in many places, and they're working for approval. So yes, it is uh, becoming global, and I think I think it now is the right time when my grandfather was working it wasn't because you know there was just nobody was talking about diet and cancer in those i mean in uh before the the 30s at the beginning of last century Mm -hmm. um a lot of people were talking about diet and uh and chronic disease I mean, even somebody like Otto Warburg, who won the uh, the Nobel Prize, mm-hmm. he uh, he gave a very good reason why um, a certain kind of diet, um, acidity, acid-performing diet, and uh, you know, um, uh, fermentive uh, created a fermentive type of uh, metabolism, and so on. He gave uh, the, these reasons, and um, he was nominated. I think he, he won. He won it once, and he was nominated thirty-seven times. I think for the Nobel Prize, but uh, he decided not to leave Germany. So I think that that sort of interfered with his career in the end. Yeah. Um, so there was him, but there were other people. There was the mucus-free diet. There were, there were, you know, there were, there was a lot going on until it was all stopped by the uh, pharmaceutical pharmaceutical empire that was beginning to be built, the Rockefellers, and so on. So, uh, at the time, my grandfather, my grandfather discovered uh, the uh, relationship between diet and disease and when he when he realized that um the diet he was using for his migraine headaches was not specific and actually was was helping people get over their tuberculosis which in in, Mm. in those times was like the cancer today and not only tuberculosis, the people who were being cured of tuberculosis also had things like high blood pressure or asthma or diabetes or all kinds of other problems. And he was watching them disappear before his eyes. So um, at that time, uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't the kind of opposition. He did have opposition. He did have opposition. The doctors were saying his... Uh, his what do you call it that that um, brass plate uh, said that he was a a neurological specialist and uh, here he was treating skin disease in the form of skin tuberculosis and they were and they even brought him to court and um, 
at that time, again, this would not happen now, but at that time, the judge said, well, he was able to find an article in a, in a magazine that, that talked about what he was doing. And the judge said to the doctors who were accusing him, he said, well, can you uh, cure this disease? And they said, well, no, no, it's not curable. So well, he's doing it, so let him get on with it, you know, and he threw the case out. Now, again, as I said, that would not happen today. Um, but this, so I'm just gonna, let's back up because I uh, know that we have listeners who are listening and they're wondering, who is Max Gerson? So okay. if you can go back, let's summarize uh, who we'll is Max Gerson. Yeah, because I'll a lot of our back. listeners, they are coming to us because they're like, oh, what is Eat Real to Heal? What does that mean? And you right. know, we started the podcast so we can showcase people who have used food, plant-based whole food as medicine and to reverse disease. Now, this is not a new right. thing, right? Like we have no, all this research. No, no, no. Like this your is grand not, you think, I mean, if you want to go way back, you have let's go, Hippocrates. Let's, yeah. In the Greek times, Hippocrates uh, was uh, someone who was, who, whose theory was to watch, you know, to give proper nutrition and to uh, wait for the patient uh, and watch and, and control and so on. Not uh, this is what they did. Uh, no, uh, Dr. Gerson was a convention, this was my grandfather, he was born in 1881, and uh, he was um, an absolutely uh, conventionally trained, uh, very highly trained uh, doctor. And uh, at that time, when he was studying at the early part of last century, um, the uh, Germany was the center of the very best uh, in science and the best in medicine. And they had an interesting system where he would study, you would go, let's say you would start your, to take your courses and you would go to different universities because in that university, there was a specialist in pathology. In that university, there was a specialist in neurology. So you would take courses, you would move around. And this was an amazing system. Mm -hmm. So he was absolutely conventionally trained. And um, there were two factors in his life which completely changed its course. And the first factor was the fact that when he was in his early 20s, he suffered from crippling migraine headaches. And they were so bad that when they came up, he would throw up, he would have to stay in a darkened room for several days a week. And he went to all his professors and they said, no, there's no cure. And uh, you just have to live with it. And at 55, they'll probably go away. Well, he was 25. and that was a little bit too long to wait. He, he was, was actually on the brink of suicide. He, he said, if I cannot solve this problem, I don't want to live. Uh, it was too dreadful. So anyway, he started researching. And of course, for a scientist, a real scientist, the words nothing can be done mean really nothing has been done. Um, and, you know, it's like with this splitting of the atom. Up until that day, the atom could not be split. The day after, it could be split. And, and you know, so things change. And there is nothing, you know, uh, the words that we hate most are settled science. 
There is no such thing as settled science. So um, he started researching. And after, he, he tried all kinds of things and they didn't work. And he found finally um, an article in a fairly obscure Italian, as it turned out, um, magazine uh, talking about somebody who had cured them, their migraine headaches with diet. And he could not, as an orthodox doctor, he could not see the connection, but working on it, he thought, well, what we take in is what conditions the chemical state of our body. And so he said, well, let's see. So he started out by a diet only of milk because he thought, well, even small babies can uh, digest milk and all this sort of reasoning. And of course, his migraines got much worse. So the reasoning proceeded. I mean, this was Dr. Gerson was a pragmatic um, um, doctor who worked uh, on the, on the uh, evidence that he came across. So he said, okay, well, in nature, actually, there is no animal that that lives on the milk, especially of another species. Everyone is, all animals are weaned. So he cut out milk. And then since uh, apples were very common in Germany at the time as fruit and vegetables, he thought, well, you know, monkeys and our, our nearest ancestors live on vegetarian diets. So he started eating apples and he was with free of, uh, of his migraines. And he would eat apples in every form, cooked, raw, and the juice, and so on. And then gradually, he added things one by one. Now, people with allergies who know about the elimination diet will recognize this, because this is, I believe he, he was severely allergic. Um, uh, so, so he gradually added things, and if he got a headache, you know, he eliminated them forever. And one of the things that he eliminated, he found, was salt, was uh, salt from his diet. He didn't, he was not a vegetarian. He would eat some raw uh, steak tartare, you know, maybe once a week. And he would eat some eggs. Uh, so, you know, that's of course vegetarian. But um, I don't believe I ever saw him eat cheese. Uh, Nothing like that. So, so anyway, let me, he, let me jump in yeah. there for one sec yeah. because this part is, I think, something you touched on a really important point. And that is that Dr. Max Gerson, your grandfather, was pragmatic. And he, there's stories going back to when he was a young boy where he would just sit and observe. And I think this is something, do you agree, that has been lost in the medical system because I, I get oncology reports from my clients' oncologists. And today, in 2019, they write in typed form, diet has nothing to do with your disease, so don't bother changing your diet. Like this is a hundred years later. And I don't get this. If there's any doctors listening, I don't even know where they can say this when if you're an emergency situation, the first thing they do is hook up a bag of nutrients to an IV into your arm, or they have dietitians that are prescribing certain meals for certain patients, and it's based on nutrient content. But meanwhile, we have oncologists writing that yes, diet's well, not related it's to disease. Not, it's not only that. 
what I find extraordinary is there is so much orthodox research. In 1975, my husband wrote an article, whole page in a big Italian newspaper, when the World Health Organization connected eat, uh, meat eating to breast, colon, and prostate cancer. 1975. So that's when I was 75. You were born, right? No, were you born? I was 1975. I was just born in May. Yeah. Okay. So you see, uh, uh, there are thousands, thousands of articles about vitamin A, about vitamin C, about in the peer-reviewed journals. See, I'm not talking about, you know, some fly-by-night little review. There are thousands. Now, I, I want you to remember that every grandmother in the 1920s knew that smoking ca- caused cancer or caused you know, lung problems. But it wasn't until exactly 1975 there as well when the Surgeon General's report came out. Now, there were in the literature, this was, I found this fascinating, something like 4,000 articles connecting smoke to every kind of pathology you can imagine, okay? When there were 7,000, it tipped the balance. So in 1975, there were 7,000. Well, what was going on? The tobacco companies were were funding the AMA and the AMA Journal. And there were huge advertisements in the AME Journal so all this was going on. Okay, so when, when we have that amount of articles, finally, it was just impossible uh, to deny. I mean, people were, people were, it was so overwhelming, the evidence of complaining. So um, the same thing is happening with food. Uh, you know, there was the Surgeon's uh, General's report. This was, uh, oh, my God goodness, when was this? Who was that? McGovern, the McGovern report, uh, that that uh, uh, there were scientists from all over the world contributing to all the factors that would reduce cancer and so on, reduce by three quarters the amount of salt, reduce by three quarters the amount of sugar, reduce the amount of meat that you eat, reduce this, reduce that, and so on. So what happened? The sugar board, the meat board, the... the, uh, what is called the salt board. I don't know if they have a salt board, whatever. They all uh, came in with two, both feet on the, on this report. And it was watered down to such a point that it, it wasn't useful anymore. So we're not talking anymore about science here. Uh, these things are questions of large industrial interests. And, and, and um, it's, well known that probably 50, 60 percent of the uh, of cancers, I I would even say more, are gen- are uh, environmentally caused, and we're talking about obviously the environment, the uh, the soil, the air, the mm-hmm. water, and the food we eat, which is all connected with those things. So uh, any you can open any nature, uh, you'll find this. But the oncologists who don't want you to do that, the oncologists are saying, you know, diet has nothing to do with cancer, which is such an outdated 
um, attitude. Maybe 30 years ago, I saw uh, a diet schedule for people who were emaciated and had cancer and they had, they had done their, their treatments. And it was horrifying. I mean, you know, ice cream, milk, uh, sugar, cakes, all, all of these things, meat, uh, fattening foods that would fatten them up. Well, of course, they don't get fattened up by those foods. Yeah. The cancer gets fattened up. So uh, it's, 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 it is quite horrifying. Anyway, Dr. Gerson was only out to cure his own migraines. He was a conventional doctor. And he saw, the uh, as conventional doctors do, for each pathology, there's a treatment, okay? One pathology, one so he thought this was his migraine treatment, okay? As he developed this uh, diet for himself that left him completely free of migraines and able to work and happy and so on. So when people came to him with migraine headaches, he wouldn't say, ah, there's a cure. He would say, there is no cure, but this is what I do and it helps. And he would find inevitably that his patients got well. And when one patient came, with uh, skin tuberculosis. Well, he would say that there's nothing I can do about that, but take this for your migraines. And this patient returned and over the moon because the skin lesions were also healing. Now this was a terrible disease, uh, skin tuberculosis, because it, uh, it left one, oh, it's a bit like leprosy. Mm -hmm. eating your skin and, and these people had to hide away and they were it was a terrible disease so when he saw that he uh, he couldn't believe it believe it himself he said mustn't stop possible it can't have been the right diagnosis do you have more acquaintances with this problem i'll treat them for free and of mm -hmm. course the guy had been in a tuberculosis ward and he sent him his friends and they got well too but in the meantime, as I said, they also had other problems and those were getting well. So Dr. Gerson empirically, he saw this going on and he said, okay, what I'm seeing is a treatment not for a specific pathology. What I'm doing is giving the body the ability to heal itself of all kinds of different problems. And that was, from there on, he began to work along those lines. His treatment of um, tuberculosis became world famous. Mm -hmm. In the 19, late mm -hmm. 1920s, Dr. Gerson's was a household name among uh, doctors. He was lecturing in Sweden and uh, Nor Norway and uh, all over the place in Germany and so on. I have spoken to uh, people who studied medicine in that period. Oh, this was, I was talking about 40 years ago. And they said, there are about 500 articles in the medical literature regarding his treatment for, for uh, tuberculosis. So this was, you know, a very serious thing. Now what happened, the other factor we talked about his migraine headaches. The other factor that changed the course of his life was, of course, the advent of Nazism, because uh, being Jewish, um, he did not realize until he was crossing the border 
one time. Um, this was he was he got a tip off to leave uh, leave uh, the day before the first of April of 1933. He needed the uh, confirm a kind of a certification of his x-rays by an uh, expert who lived in uh, Vienna and he lived in Berlin uh, and he needed this his x-rays authenticated okay now it is almost impossible I think it is impossible to falsify x-rays but that's what he had to do these x-rays were actual x-rays were they not of patients who had tuberculosis yes Yes, who no longer. Lung lung cases, for example, here is what they looked like before, and this is after the diet and so on. He had lots of those cases. Mm -hmm. So um, he he was going to present them in May of 1933 at a a huge, uh, important international congress in Berlin. He was crossing the border because when you go from Berlin, to Vienna, you cross the border into Czechoslovakia and then back border, and the train was stopped at the border and the Nazi soldiers came in. And he was just fortunate, he had bright blue eyes. He had blue eyes, eh? so he, you know, this was a, this might've been what saved him. And the, uh, the uh, soldier said to him, where are you going? Vienna, with my x-rays, he was very clever, you know, with my x-rays, look, all the wonderful things that German science can do, you know, this sort of thing. And the guy said, and he went to the next one and he said, are you Jewish? He didn't ask my grandfather. And the Jews were taken off the train and he actually saw somebody beaten to death in front of his eyes uh, that day. So he never came back. He was, he had an overnight case. He was supposed to be staying there for the weekend and he never came back. And he sent for the family and he told his wife what exactly she had to do. And poor woman, she had to get the kids out and there were three children and uh, uh, she had to close up the house and everything else, put everything in storage. But they did get out very early. And he was, since uh, the president of Austria was a patient of his, he was under the personal protection of uh, Dolphus, who was the, uh, the president of Austria, and was then murdered. Uh, so they escaped again. They went to France, but France, I'm sorry to say it, but France is a very anti-Semitic country. Always has been, I think, from the from even before the Dreyfus case. But uh, and they were worried about being, rightly so, about being invaded by the Germans and giving too much confidence to a Jewish doctor and so on. So he was not comfortable there, even though he had recovered patients, um, among them some important politicians um, who were supporting him and gave him a clinic to work in and so on, but he felt it would be better to leave. And they went to England where they stayed for two months and then, a patient of his called him to Philadelphia. Uh, she had she wanted his treatment, and uh, and he went to Philadelphia. And the family came afterwards. And this was in 1936. So they came to America in 1936. At that point, my 
you know, there were so many Jewish doctors in America that, of course, the doctors were complaining. There were too many of these Jews coming across and there were doctors. Three weeks, he was 50 then, three weeks before he came, a law was passed that any doctor, immigrant doctor who came to the United States would have to take the boards, the medical boards. And so now, if you've done that at 20 or 25, at 50, in a, in a foreign language, he spoke very poor English. That is quite a task. So what did he do then? Uh, he did it. He did it. He did it. He took his boards, he passed, and he became a doctor. I just want to sum up what you said for our listeners. It's that, you know, Max Gerson was a German Jewish doctor. The war was breaking out. He got word of that. So he had to leave and flee Germany, went to Austria, went to France, went to um, the UK. And then by luck of the draw, a patient in Philadelphia said, can you come? So this was how he escaped from Europe before the war um, really got underway. Um, but there is one thing that I do That's find very interesting. Actually, about it was many years. It was Nazism. It was Nazism at that point because the war yeah. didn't start until 39 and that yeah. was six years later. Right. Mm. And so, but one thing, I read an article actually just the other day that Max Gerson had written about the nutritional uh, protocol of the German army. And it's interesting because even back then, the, the Nazi party and the German army were eating predominantly a plant-based diet because they saw that it was better for their soldiers. Now, now, hold on a second. This was not the Nazi party. The Nazi, uh, Hitler came to power in 1933. Mm -hmm. And in January of 1933, the Gerson left Germany in April 1933. So uh, the Nazi, this was not something he did for the Nazis. This was something no. he did for the German army on the, on the tail end of his fame that had grown in Europe for his nutritional approach to tuberculosis. Yeah. This but was not, not, uh, nothing to do with racism. No, not not with the Nazi party, but he. But I read the article about how uh, the German army was predominantly on this yes. incredible plant based yes. diet, and that for an army for a for for that level of um, you know political will to say let's get behind this and feed our soldiers this food because we know it's the best, and nobody makes decisions in the army when it's not based on science, like really good yeah. science, and. So this is the part that I find most fascinating and that it took that long, like it's 2019 and people are still debating whether eating vegetables in large quantities is a good thing, right? It's crazy. I know. And when you think what we're doing to our soldiers now oh, with so the vaccine, and so on, you know, it's, it's terrible and it's stupid because, you know, we're not going to have an army. No. And it's criminal. It's criminal. Army of very sick people. Yeah, I think it's just criminal course, because of, of the fact that the science has been there for so long. Like we're talking more than a hundred year, hundreds of years, and it's published in 
you know, their peers, like these are their medical doctor peers, scientists who are publishing this information. Meanwhile, we have these arrogant doctors. And I just want to, arrogant only in the sense that they say, well, you know what, we've been taught everything in medical school and there was nothing that was taught to us about nutrition. Therefore, nutrition is not important to disease. And this is the part where I think it's so arrogant to say that just because you weren't taught it doesn't mean that the information doesn't exist. It was a curriculum that was designed for the medical schools. And the fact that people deliberately left out that science, the nutritional science, in favor of pharmaceutical drugs, that is what's criminal, right? Of course. Well, this is the thing. Uh, they, they fill their mouths with the word science, but uh, it isn't science. It's, um, it's economics and, po and politics and, uh, and so on. And because the science just doesn't say, say any of that. Um, uh, so uh, this is the thing. I mean, if, you'd, if, if uh, the board of a medical school, as it is, uh, has several members uh, from, the, uh, from the pharmaceutical uh, industry and the money from, for the medical school to support them and so on comes largely from these sources, um, they're going to listen to these people and they're going to design their curriculum with it. You know, people, they all say, I heard a wonderful uh, lecture from Dean Ornish uh, yesterday uh, where he says that, that in medical school, they taught them, they taught them about three, four hours of nutrition. And it's usually scurvy and rickets and those things, which we don't, which are not problems anymore. And he said, and in cardiology, how many hours do they get of uh, nutrition? Cardiology, zero, zero. And it's the easiest thing you can so do for working. You know, somebody once people. said, he mentions this, somebody once said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, you tend to see everything as a nail. So if the only thing you have is drugs and uh, uh, drugs and surgery, then you're going to see everything as a problem that needs drugs and, and surgery. Yeah. That's what medicine is. Wow. So I love Dean Ornish, by the way. Let's, everyone needs to read. <laughs> love Wonderful. the man. Love yeah. So let's jump to now Dr. Max Gerson's left uh, Europe. He's now established in New York or in Philadelphia. He's in Philadelphia specifically. Well, he, uh, you know, he he went there, but then he eventually he settled in New York. Um, now, the th thing is, we have to jump back a minute to 1929 when he got a call from a lady who asked him to come and visit her at her home. And he, she wouldn't tell him on the phone what she had. And he said, okay, he, he went over and it turns out she had cancer of the bile ducts and she was jaundiced already. And he said, no, 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 I already have opposition for my work on, on tuberculosis. I know nothing about cancer. In fact, the tuberculosis diet is somewhat different from the cancer diet. It has more fat in it, for example. 
And um, he says, I, I, I wouldn't know where to start and so on. So she said, you write me down a therapy. <laughs> you know? And she wrote out a paper that said she gave him no responsibility for the outcome. And she told him to go over to a table there. And there was a book by three non I don't remember, about folk medicine. And it uh, described a soup <laughs> that, that was claimed uh, to be something that Hippocrates used. I have my doubts because there were a few vegetables in there that they didn't have in ancient Greece. But anyway, uh, we call it the Hippocrates soup anyway. And uh, he gave her that soup and he gave her, you know, he, he worked out a therapy that he thought might help her and so on. And she got well. Now, later on in his career, he stated that he had no idea how that happened because, you know, it was pure fluke. I did hear a little explanation, which I don't know if you want to get into technical things. The, as I said, the tuberculosis diet had more fat in it, but he started that later on butter and those things uh, in the diet. <clears throat> she, her husband was very against it. So she never got to that point in the diet. She was using the diet without those things. And he thought, my mother thought, I don't know, maybe that had something to do with it. But he, he really, it was not his cancer diet, but she got well. And she sent him two other people and they got well. So there were three cancer cases that got well. He tried again in France and he didn't get the results. And he says he thought maybe because the kitchen wasn't very good, uh, he wasn't sure. But anyway, he started studying the problem very deeply because he says that once he had the problem in, the, in his hands and his head, he couldn't let it go. Um, and when he was in the States, he studied it, he studied it much more. And he, uh, he began to use uh, his therapy and, uh, and so on. And there were lots of things that he was learning at the time uh, and uh, the differences between the non-malignant diseases that he had been treating previously and the cancer patients. And that took a while to work out uh, uh, different, different problems, to iron out different problems. But okay, they came to the United States in 1936. He had to get his license, which I, I'm not sure exactly how long that took. In 1946, he was the first medical doctor ever to present 10 cases of cured terminal cancer before the United States Senate. Mm -hmm. Now, these were hearings that were called by Senator Pepper because he had been his doctor and he'd seen, uh, Pepper had seen, uh, and he introduced a bill uh, to uh, um, provide $100 million or something like that to independent researchers who were working on promising cancer therapies. Mm -hmm. And Gerson was one. And uh, everyone was shaken up totally when these five patients, there were 10 patients presented, five actually were there. And when they 
turned up and they were obviously in good health and their medical records showed that they had been in terminal condition, et cetera, et cetera. And um, of course the medical authorities were lobbying like crazy. When Dr. Gerson was supposed to meet the press, they called a big reception with lots of drink and so on. So of course all the, all the journalists went there and nobody, got, nobody went to his uh, press conference. But there was one journalist, um, Long John Neville, his name was. We still have the interview that he did, the, he did with my uh, Dr. Gerson. Um, <clears throat> I think it was him who did it. But anyway, he it came was, out yeah, on the radio that night. And he, and, right. And he said, I just heard the most incredible thing, uh, a modest German doctor, blah, 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 and so on, and these patients. I saw a man who, and I saw a girl who, and so on, and he, so he said this. And, and of course, the radio station was totally um, uh, <laughs> overwhelmed with telephone calls from all over the place. Anyway, so, so he, uh, he was fired the next day this journalist, and he never worked again, I think, in, uh, in radio. And um, from that time on, all the doors were closed in Dr. Gerson's face. He lost his hospital affiliation. Uh, young doctors who wanted to work with him were threatened uh, practically immediately. Um, all the laboratories refused to collaborate with him. You know, we're sorry, Dr. Gerson, but if we collaborate with you, we'll lose all the other doctors and so on. Yeah. So all his articles, um, professional studies and um, academic articles were refused for spurious reasons from the uh, major, from the major health magazines. He had a stack like this of refusals. And then they would say he keeps a sec uh, his treatment a secret. I mean, all the tricks of uh, bad faith and, uh, and uh, some criminal behavior. Uh, you know, it, it's, it was simply a question of eliminating the competition, I think, um, you know, because uh, one, as one doctor said, if we accept this, the only people who get rich are the people who sell carrots, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, do something else then, you know? Exactly. It's <laughs> do something else, a bit more useful and you know, less harmful. So anyway, that, that is the story of his, but, you know, from 1946 until his death in 1959, he wrote his book, his classic book, uh, mm -hmm. Cancer Therapy, Results of 50 Cases. And uh, he died the next year after it was published. Um, and uh, this book was kept in print by my mother and her sister, uh, until her sister died in 1968, I think. And um, then my mother was invited to speak uh, because somebody had seen the book and she was invited to speak. And it turns out she was such a powerful speaker, even though this was not her, her line, her health speakers in the, uh, in the entire alternative health world and uh, thousands of people bought the book 
thousands of people started to do the therapy. She had she opened uh, she opened a few clinics. Uh, some of them really had big troubles, um, and uh, uh, finally in Mexico they found a haven. And uh, you know this this is this ongoing story. Finally, they she started the Gerson Institute uh, together with her partner Norman Fritz. And you know, the, there's, it was very successful for a very long time, and apparently, since her death, and you know, a lot of things are going wrong there. So uh, we're not quite sure what the situation is. But yeah, she was. Uh, uh, she is an incredible woman, because, and it's so important for people to understand um, what Charlotte Gerson did when she decided to share her father's knowledge and research and science and therapy with the world. I mean, we're talking about a woman who started an organization that now has over 250,000 followers. Like that is huge. And, you know, she wasn't, you know, social media, you know, savvy. She was, you know, all of those things, but but she was sharing such a powerful message that we can reverse disease using food as medicine because our bodies are naturally designed to heal itself. We just need to get out of our body's way and just give it nutrients, allow it to detoxify, which is the whole premise of the Gerson therapy, and then your body heals. So what your mom has done for the world is really remarkable. I mean, what your grandfather did, like he was constantly going and standing up to the medical system and not in an aggressive way, but just in a, hey, like this is what we're finding, that food is medicine and just continually sharing that knowledge. But then your mom went and took it a step further and then you and Howard have also been doing remarkable things. And that's what I want to get into as well because you're in Italy, correct? Yeah. So you're in Italy and you know, you are training physicians over there. You are lecturing all over the world. You still carry on the lectures at the um, Health Institute of Tijuana, which is the original Gerson Clinic. Um, I mean, you are doing remarkable things, Margaret. Well, uh, the first thing I did was to make sure that my mother's book was translated. they first translated the book, um, The Gerson Therapy, which unfortunately was not the best, but it was sufficient. A lot of people got well using the book, but uh, it really was not written very well. It jumped around and so on. And finally she and my brother decided, we all decided they had to do another book. So uh, this time she made the right choice. She chose Beata Bishop, who is a marvelous writer. And she's also a recovered patient who has been absolutely one of the most active of our um, recovered patients. She was born in Hungary, came over during the time of the Hungarian revolution in 1956, came over to uh, England. And she's lived in London ever since. In 1979, she developed uh, malignant melanoma and she had an operation on her leg. She had a large operation on her leg. Doctor said, I got it all, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, a year later, it was back in her groin. Now, in the meantime, she had read a few books about exactly this happening to certain people and how they died and it was not very pretty. 
So uh, she started looking around and she had a very dear friend who had heard me talk in London, actually, and uh, said, uh, you know, why don't you go and see her? So she called me and uh, I said, okay, before you come, I want you to read Dr. Gerson's book and a book called Cancer Winner by, um, by uh, Jackie Davison. And that, you know, is a bit of a breathy, <laughs> kind of book she was not she's not a writer she's not a thing but the story is incredible she had so many tumors that she couldn't count them she had melanoma tumors everywhere up her arms everywhere and my mother always said that if she'd actually gone to the clinic she probably would have died because mm -hmm. what she did was her daughter who was 14 at the time stayed home and looked after her and uh, so she was sometimes taking 15 enemas a day, not five. She was, you know, this is part of the detoxification therapy of, of Dr. Gerson, yeah. were coffee enemas. And if you want, we can go into that. But uh, instead of five, she would take them night and day, one after the other, because she was, you know, all these tumors were being dissolved and pouring out of her. And if you take that many enemas, you've got to drink a lot of juices, otherwise you get dehydrated. Mm -hmm. So her daughter was up all night making juices for her and, you know, 25 juices and 15. And I mean, you know, she did way more than is in the book. And she got well. Uh, now, I read, I think her book, I think she was 40 when she wrote her book. So she was cured by then, 42, something like that. She died of seven, at 75. Now, I, wow. I don't believe she's kept, uh, yeah, I don't believe she kept it. They had given her a few weeks to live in the state she was. Her hair was falling out, and she, she hadn't been on chemo. Uh, she was in a terrible state. So anyway, I told Beata to read that. And of course, you know, with one little tumor, in her lymph, lymph gland of her groin, you know, she was in nowhere the kind of state that, uh, that Jackie was. So she got a lot of encouragement from that. And uh, she understood well, she's a highly intelligent woman and she understood well the, uh, the theory and the practice of the therapy. She said, well, how am I gonna do this, you know? Uh, and she came to visit me and we talked and, oh, but can I do this? And can I do that? And, you know, it was always, no, you can't wear makeup. You can't do, well, I look awful without makeup. It doesn't matter. You won't look awful. You'll look better and better, you know, true. and of course that was true. And true. she said, you know, in, if you look at my mother's book, it's in there and it's a little joke to me. She said, can I wear eyeliner, eyeliner, pencil, eye, eyebrow pencil? So I said, yeah, you can wear eyebrow pencil. So she put in the book, you can wear eye eyebrow pencil is allowed. <laughs> so we laughed a lot about, about that. Anyway, at the end, of, she said, oh my goodness, I wish there was a clinic. I said, well, there is. And I said, there is one in Mexico. And uh, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, you didn't ask, you know? And uh, she went and she stayed there a long time. She had a boyfriend who helped her out. He was great. And he kept calling me and we set up her house, you know, he got everything he needed and so on. When she came back, he was there, German, you know, very. And uh, she got well, she got well. Uh, and two years later, she had a party and uh, 
wrote her book, which is a marvelous book. It Time is to, such a Time to Heal. It's a great book because she's a, such a good writer. I mean, I, I love keeping correspondence with her because she writes so well. She's amusing and, uh, and sharp and so on. And Beata so, is uh, Beata is also every Beata. everyone who's listening needs to know Beata is also now ninety five years old. I think ninety ninety five, and she has never had a relapse. Yeah, we just had her on our she show as well. So, yeah, Over. people can listen but, to the okay. podcast. It's on our show, so listen to Beata's story because she really just goes into the reality of doing Gerson. It's that we live in a fast food process world that is addictive and you have to say no to that. And it really is like being an alcoholic where you're like, no more alcohol, no more refined food, no more processed food. And people think like, oh, that's so boring. And I love how Beata is like, it is boring, but living is way more exciting. So you kind of just got to do it. Well, yeah, Beata tells a story in her book about this lady, a very kind of jet set, Tennessee kind of lady, and she had cancer. And uh, and she was there at the clinic, and after about a week or 10 days, she said to Beata, oh, I can't stand this therapy. This therapy would interfere with my lifestyle. And Beata said, so would death, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Guys, you know, you want to live, you got to pay for it. And um, I said, uh, I always say, you can either look at this as two years in jail, two or more years in jail. For some people, it yeah. takes longer as um, punishment for the crimes against your body that you've committed over the years, the smoking, the drinking, the, 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 the drugs, the, the junk food, and so on. Or you can see it as a, a voyage of discovery, a yeah. spiritual voyage of beginning to understand why we're here, what's gone wrong, how we can connect with ourselves, with our deeper nature, with nature, uh, and so on. If you look at it that way, as so many of our patients do, and many patients are very religious too, and they feel that this is God's way. and Okay, if you want to look at nature that way, I look at it a different way, fine. It's all very, very helpful. Yeah. Uh, praying and, is helpful. And, you know, I have to, that is an amazing point that you bring up because I've had so many clients who have, you know, I've taught the therapy to, they've gone and done it. And the ones that do it and stick with it, and then they get their results, what they all come back and say is that it was a spiritual experience. They feel so connected. To it was it, what? Sorry. It was a spiritual experience because they, oh. de they developed a connection to their body. They understood their body more, but beyond that, they just saw this connection between their body and nature. And then from that, they saw that, wow, we're all one and connected. We're not separate from our environment, which also means that they found these deep connections with other people, strangers, their loved ones, that they wanted to treat them well, and not just with good food, but with good language and good um, community. And then some of them even went on to say how, for them, how it 
literally lit up their brains. Like their they were before in such a fog. And when it lit up their brains, they had this completely different perspective of the world. They saw colors that they never saw. Some of them went on and became artists when they weren't artists before. Some of them went on and like built their businesses and they can think clearly and make good decisions. Like, it is a spiritual experience when you return back to the laws of nature and you allow your body to heal to become actually what it was designed to be. Most people don't are not living their purpose and living their potential because it's been squandered from the moment they came into this world by the processed food, the heavy meats, the heavy sugars, the heavy salts. And so they don't even know what their potential is. Absolutely. I agree with you fully. And uh, um it's interesting, uh, I don't think it's surprising, but when you've looked the old man in the eye, uh, that changes you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say, okay, I, you see things differently anyway. A sunset, totally. uh, watch, looking out over the ocean. Uh, even while you're doing the therapy, all these things have an intensity and a power. And I would like to say something, since we're talking about spiritual and psychological things, I would like to say something about that because Mm -hmm. the Gerson therapy has been criticized in the past for not doing enough for the spiritual, emotional, and uh, psychological side. But um, I have to say that there, at the beginning of the therapy, for several months, Uh, it's almost impossible to do psychological work because the people are toxic. They're highly toxic. And sometimes the best thing you can do in terms of psychological work is somebody calls you up and says, I feel you all, I'm so depressed. It's okay, go into the bathroom and take a coffee enema. Exactly. You don't want to even talk to them until they've done that because Because if you are that toxic and you get terrifically toxic as all the toxins pour out into your bloodstream with the therapy, if you're that toxic, you cannot reason. And, you know, it, 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 not, nothing works. Now, that isn't to say that I don't understand fully the psychological uh, triggers. I call them triggers that, put you into an oncological situation because um, you can say uh, stress causes cancer, okay? But uh, you have to think, first of all, the preconditions for cancer are there in almost all of the population because of the environment, because of how they eat, because of the antibiotics they've taken, pharmaceuticals, coffee, uh, cigarettes, and all the rest of it. So they're ready, they're primed for something. Uh, as long as things are going pretty well, they can they get, all, get along. What happens when you have a big life event? Uh, somebody dies, a divorce, you change house. What happens is that you start mistreating your body. You drink more. You eat junk food, you grab something on your way out, uh, more coffee, more, you know, cigarettes and so on. So, you know, you have to look at things a little bit like because after all, we all know, or not everybody maybe knows, that 
during the wars, during the First World War and the Second World War, when food was really scarce, there was no butter, there were no milk, uh, yeah, everything was a bit substituted and people had to just grow their own little things in their garden and do their best, maybe find a bag of rice somewhere and cook it up and so on. The amount of cancer dropped, the amount of heart disease dropped, and it went right back up after the war in the countries where people started eating the same as they did before. So, so what is more stressful than a war? Okay. And I don't believe that, you know, living in an African village, uh, as your grandmother did, I'm sure there were a lot of stresses in her life. I mean, you know, if we go way back, you could be chased by a lion or something or, uh, you know, floods and, and, and uh, droughts and so on. There has always been stress. Always. Um, that what has changed over the last hundred years when the cancer and heart disease rates have gone like that have been the chemicals in the environment and the amount of food we eat. Yeah. The amount of food we eat, the amount of sugar we eat, that the chemicals we put on our bodies. It's said that women put about uh, five pounds of cosmetics on their bodies every year. I can't even imagine that. I don't know what they do with them, but, but yes. So what you put on your body, you eat it. It goes right into your bloodstream. Have you ever, you know, there are certain poisons. You put a drop on your hand and you're dead. So um, all of these things, you know, people have to realize, yes, it's it is important. I would say the psychological and the emotional side, what's really important is having support at home, mm -hmm. somebody who loves you and helps you and, and, and supports you in your journey. Okay, that is so important because people need to rest. The patients need to rest. And so it's important that they have support in their family. Now there are people who are very smart. <laughs> I have one lady who went from the oncologist's office, got her diagnosis, took a taxi to a divorce lawyer. That was the next trip. Because she knew that in that marriage, she could not get well. Okay, that, you know, not too many people are able to do that. <laughs> It's pretty you know, clever. I have had clients, oh, wow. so I know, and I have had clients who have done that. And in fact, Dr. Lisa Rankin is a gynecologist from California, and she wrote a book called Mind Over Medicine, where she specifically talks about that, that if you are living a life that is not conducive to what you want and that is causing so much stress and that is stopping you from being able to do the things you want to do, then you have to change it. And it might not just be your marriage, but it could be your career or it could be, you know, something else entirely. Yes. You're not even living in the same country that you want to be living in, or you're not, you know, wearing the clothes you want to be wearing. Or, there's so much of Absolutely. that. And we, I think as humans have become very weak in a way that we just are trying to keep up with the Johnsons that we don't actually acknowledge what it is that we want in our life. So we just follow these patterns that other humans, like we're a bunch of sheep. And instead of making decisions that are conducive to your optimal health and, and well-being. And when you, when the people would get rid of that, they would heal. When they would fix those, they would heal.
if they also did a few other things. Well, yes, and they do the other things. things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But of course, doing the other things and not changing your situation can really interfere with your healing. I agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a sort of a feeling that, you know, homeostasis is sort of like this. And uh, those things can put you just below the amount and then you're sick. And when you get rid of them, you can go above the amount. But what you really need is to heal completely and to detoxify completely and and get into a state where your body is healthy. Um, And I think it takes more than just changing your psychological situation. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And this is what I see is that when people actually start saying no to the things that aren't working for them and start saying yes to themselves, what they start doing is making better food choices because I have clients who will, they won't even start the Gerson therapy because they say things and it's often women. They're like, well, my husband doesn't believe in organic food and my husband won't let me buy this food. And I'm like, it's the year 2019 lady. Like, come on. We didn't go through the whole entire women's rights movement to like end up with you being diagnosed with stage four disease of all kinds. And you're going to allow your husband to dictate what you're going to put in your mouth, like, come on. And so, but what I see is when they start saying yes to themselves, that's when they put their foot down. When your life is at stake. Have you ever seen, I mean, I'm sure sure you've seen this too. A husband and wife come for a visit. Let's say the wife is sick and she's hanging on your every word. Then the husband's looking out the window. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? All the time. And you know, you know that he wants her to die. And if he wants her to die and she stays with him, she's going to die. Yep. Unfortunately, I have had that happen to many clients um, to the, to the tune of one couple came to see me and the woman is like, you know what? I've been gutted, like literally had all their organs removed. And the doctors are like, you have to change your lifestyle. Like you have to change your lifestyle and you don't have a second chance with this. And the husband is like, well, you know what? We I already booked a family reunion with my family in Italy and we're all going. So we're going to go and we're going to go do that first. And then when we come back, she can start doing whatever she wants to do. And I remember looking at this couple, they, ha- they had so much money. It wasn't like they couldn't afford to even hire a chef and bring them to the family reunion to help this woman. But no, he was just like, we're not going to do it. And when he went to the bathroom, she, I looked at her and I said, what is it that you want to do? And she's like, well, I can't do it if he's not supportive. And she died. That was it. You know, of course. And I see that happen and it doesn't have to be that way. And it goes the other way as well. Like it's not always in that, you know, gender capacity, but it can go the other way, but it doesn't matter. You need to have a caregiver. You need to have someone who fully supports you. That's right. Mm -hmm. And if your spouse is really against it, that is almost impossible. Yes. You know, that's the person you're living with. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. So yes, there are all these factors. We need we need that uh, we need belief. We need the people to really be convinced, not because you know some stand why they're doing every little bit of the therapy. That you know what it is we're actually doing. Why don't we eat salt? What is the problem? Why don't we eat meat? Do they know 
example, that when you eat meat, it prevents the body from eliminating sodium. And if you don't eliminate the sodium, your body will not heal. Um, do they know the reasons for all these things? Uh, there are so many therapies out there now, which are, I mean, make my ha hair stand on it. I mean, oh, me uh, I, I can't understand why so many people are, you know, following these things. Yeah, the Maybe celery juice diet. Lose weight, you know, they're trying to lose weight and okay, they lose weight, but, but they're temporary improvements. And uh, my goodness, the number of people that I've seen who developed first one and then the other breast cancer after doing the Atkins diet or, you know, keto or whatever. So, and that's and you the can't thing talk to them. So no, and you know what? It's a journey as well, right? Like everything yeah. comes down yeah. to having the right amount of information at the right time, and then having you know that caregiver support person at the right time, and then having you know it does require that all of this lines up. And if somebody is, if they're motivated to lose weight, for sure you're going to lose weight on keto. You will lose weight on keto. But what's happening in your organs and what's going to happen in five years from now? Because we know that a diet that is higher than about 12% in protein from animal sources animal, yeah. causes cancer mm -hmm. to grow. And it takes five to 20 years to cause cancer to grow. So here you have these people doing keto, which yes, it's remarkable if you have somebody who's incredibly overweight and they lose 200 pounds and they're able to get a will to live and to reclaim their life. Like amazing. but you know what? You've got to return back to the nutrient. You can't follow keto, which is just the Atkins diet, which was proven to not work. And so, you know, people are just doing it under a different name now. So people need to understand That's that right. their body needs just gentle, amazing nutrients. And you've got to be doing it for the right reasons, which is overall health and longevity as opposed to these quick wins. That's right. I think, I think, there have been enough, there's enough evidence uh, to show that now. And, uh, well, people just kind of have to go their own way. And yeah. if, I mean, I would like that some of these people thought a little bit about animal welfare too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if, if they don't do things because they think, uh, you know, because uh, they want to lose weight or whatever, that, you lose weight on a on a plant based diet too. You will you lose, weight. lose weight. Exactly. Your optimal weight. Yeah. And uh, I just, I mean, I can't even be around people who are on doing keto. Their breath is so bad. Right. <laughs> they don't. And I'm seeing a lot of clients now who've been doing keto who have skin conditions and they have um, all of these other issues happening now, autoimmune disorders, like it's, it's really out of control. So yeah, great. You're skinny, but you also now have all of these other issues going on. And so, and then of course, <laughs> and the antidote is to get more greens into your diet and to get more carbs into your diet is usually what their doctors are telling them. And I'm like, exactly people so why don't we just start with that yeah. and you will just still lose weight that. but it's the harder way to do it right it's the it's of course yeah because you actually have people to like, people like meat you know a lot of people like them yeah anyway there's more and more coming out the game changers and more yeah. and more vegan hunks doing weightlifting and all that sort of thing that's all very nice to see it is so, so true well i you know something you know, I, I feel 
you help the people who you want who want to be helped and he will listen to you I, i'm not going to worry about you know when people come to me i'll help them yeah. when they don't then you know they have to go their own way I, for example, I made the mistake of going into one of these, um, I think, I don't know if it was multiple sclerosis um, Facebook pages and saying, look, you know, you, you know, you should do this. This is really has worked for so many people and so on. Oh, I, you know, I, as if I had brought in bubonic plague to the, to the group, you know, you have and then they would print all kinds of things from the uh, the official literature about Gerson and and this kind of. And I said, you know, whatever. Yeah. I uh, you know I'm not going to argue with. It. And that's the thing that's yeah, so because hard. they're all supported by pharma. And they get they get contributions from pharma and they're told what to do. They're doctors and so on. It's it's totally useless. Yeah. And also so, uh, what I find too, it's hard to compete with someone or, you know, it's hard to work with someone who doesn't want to do good research, like when they don't want to actually look at the science, but they want to look at people's blogs or they want to look at industry reports. And I'm like, industry right. reports are probably not the best thing to go to. You want to go to the unbiased science that's been published and look at it across a lifespan. So like even just choose a hundred years worth of research and you can pick like there's so much to choose from. It's incredible. And also look for the science that also, like where is there the science that a high animal protein and fat diet actually reverses disease? I haven't been able to find it and I'm a PhD researcher and I can't find it. But this is me going into the medical <laughs> journal article. So it's hard to, when you're working with someone who is like, well, this person's book said, and it's not backed up with any research. Like that's the hard Yes, in fact, the keto diet, the keto diet is a reworking of the Atkins diet. And I guess you've heard the uh, the video with uh, Nicholas Gonzalez, where he says that Atkins asked him to work with him on the cancer side of it. And he said, no. And then a little bit later, uh, Atkins came back and he said, no, no, I'm not going to do cancer. It doesn't work. Yeah. I know. And <laughs> so keto, still doing it, though. Yeah, it's just under a different like, name. Like, thing yeah yeah it's crazy well we are uh we are doing our best to get the word out and we're now trying to uh to reboot the um the system that my dear brother left behind um and uh so we'll be we have now a new organization called the max gerson foundation and uh yeah we have lots of very good people working for us, including some people who have left the Gerson Institute uh, because they were not really satisfied with the way things were going there. And um, we have lots going on in China. We have a big uh, uh, Gerson China organization and um, a clinic is being built. And there are now 30 um, uh, home setup trainers in China. Uh, we have an, a former amazing. home setup teacher Gerson Institute uh, who was trained there and, and taught there for many years. And she now goes regularly to China and they have 30 and we're beginning to get some really good healed patients. I tell you what the real problem is with China is that um, 
the air quality is so terrible. And we seeing most of the cases are lung, lung cancer patients. Mm -hmm. And the, the ones that do well are the ones that leave the cities and go out to the country and, and live for the period of the, of the therapy and hopefully more than that. And, uh, and they're able to get well, but the quality of air in China is really so abysmal that they have a gigantic problem of lung cancer. Yeah, and it's when I but, was there, well, I was just gonna say when uh, I was there with Howard and well, Molly yes. runs Gerson China, um, yeah. we, it was amazing because we were up north in Kung Bao and that's where they were growing all of the organic food, for the yeah. development that's going, that's already now built there, where they're going to 150 beds, where they can then um, treat patients who with the Gerson therapy, which is amazing. The center is phenomenal. It's all solar powered and wind powered. Um, all the organic food is being grown in these Earthship greenhouses, so they can grow food oh, 24/7. Yeah, it's amazing what's happened and and how this has really been ignited by like yourself and Howard and Molly. Like it took a very small group of people to have such impact for tens, hundreds of thousands of people in China. Like it's really remarkable what's happening right. there. Right. Yeah. I, I'm uh, high hopes. And right now we're teaching a doctor's training course in China. Uh, and uh, we have three, we had three Indian doctors, they'll be coming back to the core, and they're building a clinic, they've actually opened a clinic in India, which they're not yet, we don't authorize them yet to use the name Gerson until they have at least one doctor who's fully certified. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but they're still, they're using it in their own way. Um, and they, while they train, because the need is so great. So India is coming on board too. Uh, my mother's book has been translated into Telugu, which I never heard of, but it's apparently one of the major major uh, languages of India, That's apart amazing. from English, of course. They use the English book. So uh, India, and uh, a lot has been done in Japan. There was a a doctor who cured himself of colon and liver cancer with the therapy many, many years ago, and then he started using it on patients. And there's more freedom in Japan than there is uh, in other places. So that's happening. And uh, it's just France, There, there's quite a lot of interest in France. Uh, all of the books have been translated and uh, now we just need to train some doctors who are living there. But, you know, these are all projects for the future and we need, we need donations because, um, you know, the Gerson Institute is asking for donations in my mother's name, which is not quite right because my mother had distanced herself as well from the Gerson Institute. And, um, they are they are not doing any of the patient-oriented programs that they used to do. For example, they used to have basics courses. They used to have home setup training courses. They used to have a coaching service at the institute, which was very good, because patients for you know they would pay a half an hour, a fee for a half an hour, talk to somebody who was an expert on 
on the therapy without being a doctor and they could you know these you know to see if they're not doing well what they're doing wrong uh for example since my mother had a hilarious story about a doctor who was trying to do the Gerson therapy and one day he phoned her and he said this therapy doesn't work and she said well okay let's see what we can find out uh how many green juices are you taking a day and he said oh i'm not doing that oh okay how many carrot and apple juices are you taking a day oh no i'm not doing that and she said well how many animals are you taking a day no i don't do those Well, she said, well, what are you doing? Well, he said, I eat an apple with every meal. Okay, now this is just to tell you the cognitive dissonance that people have. They say this is a diet with a lot of fruit and vegetables, so I'll add fruit and vegetables to my diet. There was another one. This was not a doctor. This was just somebody who I would nominate for the Darwin Award. this person <laughs> this person then called my mother and said um yeah this is not working and she said okay and she went through the whole list she said he said she i'm not eating the oatmeal no 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 but i make oatmeal pancakes fried in castor oil now anybody who does something like that is not going to make it <laughs> i can't imagine what that was like so anyway you know i don't say that people are so extreme but for example my mother went to somebody's home she had to give a lecture nearby and they offered to put her up and so on and they made her some hippocrates soup and they put peas in and they put you know all kinds of vegetables nice vegetables but not it that was not the hippocrates soup which is a specific recipe because of the nature of the function of the of the soup of the of the purpose of the soup and there were all kinds of little things that she saw that he was doing that were not right so it's you know you really have to do a lot of detective work to uh to see if they've low if they've lowered the medication at the correct time if they're you know what their blood tests are and so on i can't look at people's blood tests but you know they need their their gerson trained physicians to do that exactly so and that- uh, it's not easy I, i always say if you had a patient doing conventional therapy and you say okay you go to that room at the end of the corridor you go in and there's this big machine okay and you take this thing and you point it to your abdomen and you turn on the uh, the radiation okay and then you turn it off you go look at your watch and you turn it off after 10 seconds or whatever like that that's about what we have to do uh and you know we're lucky it's diet but it's not a diet it's a therapy it's a yeah. nutritional therapy a diet is something completely different yeah yeah and that's what's really so, important for people okay. to understand 
that this is, yeah, and the reason it's so intense too is because you've gone years without treating your body well, what, by and then as a result, you've become nutrition nutritional, nutritionally deficient, which has allowed the toxicity to build up in your body. And so it takes time to undo that. You know, it's not a one pill wonder. It is a therapy. It's a treatment protocol. You follow it exactly. You don't change it unless your Gerson practitioner says, hey, you know what, adjust this and adjust this and take a little bit more of that or a little bit less of that. Like It's important for people to understand that it's not a game, right? It's not like, you know, experimenting. This is hard science Mm -hmm. implemented so that you can see a reversal of your disease before death's door is in front of you. That is really what people need to understand that's right and and that you know a doctor is saying oh well you don't really have to do that five enemas a day three enemas a day no do three enemas a week once a week is enough i've had doctors how do they know how do they know i know margaret i've had doctors say to me i don't get why what this detoxification is because your body just detoxifies on its own and i said Really? But what happens when a liver isn't working correctly? Does it truly detoxify on its own? Like, how does the damage to the organs work? And then they'll sort of think backwards and they'll be like, oh, yeah, the body is being damaged by the toxicity buildup. It's being damaged when the body can't eliminate its own metabolic waste. But right away, like doctors are saying, oh, well, you don't need to ever do anything. Like cleansing is not important. Meanwhile, some of the stuff that I've seen come out of my patients is quite remarkable. Everything from parasites, worms, like tapeworms that are this long, like mass little tiny bundles of worms in their stool. I have seen like- Buckets of mucus. Oh, so much mucus. Um, Tumors, people who have passed tumors. One client had had tattoos all over her body and she decided to get them removed. Yeah, she decided to get them removed. So she thought, well, okay, they're removed now. She then started to do the birth therapy because she was ill. And then what happened is her stools were pure, pure, pure black. It was like all the ink that was absorbed into the body was now being eliminated through the Gerson therapy. And she couldn't believe it. And it was ink floating in her toilet. It wasn't like this like bundled up in the stool itself like it was so remarkable so i mean and i know you know you have hundreds of stories too like this yes i mean lymph uh, they found uh, ink uh, from tattoos in in lymph uh, lymph nodes with cancer and uh, uh well we all have the stories of for example somebody who smoked 20 years before and so on and they start doing the therapy in the bathroom smells of smoke why yeah yeah or hair solution what hair solution yes absolutely people have been hairdressers there was somebody at the clinic once long time ago in mexico who uh who had been a a swimming pool attendant and they had lymphatic cancer and uh you would pass by his room and it would smell like chlorine yeah i know so it, it is fascinating it is fascinating but it's got to be done Right. Uh, If you, for example, say, oh, it's Christmas, let's have something, just one day, we'll have something. You can interfere with and block that that, uh, detoxification, and that stuff begins to back up, and you can get very, very sick with a few bites of meat, you know? It doesn't take much. Yeah. 
So yeah. I, you know, regularly the support group publishes my warning about the holidays, and there are so many lovely recipes that one can one can make. Yeah, um, and that's but, the thing uh, that we now know too is it's not that, worth it. No, it's not worth it. And I love we just interviewed Dr. Spitz from the Game Changers, who did the study, the experiment it for the purpose of the film to show how one meal, one meal within a few hours can affect, well, a few minutes affects your blood. So when you talk about that, even having just one Christmas dinner, how all of a sudden everything gets backed up, your arteries get clogged, your blood gets clogged. And that, and for somebody who is on a time crunch with their disease, if you can't afford to stop the body from detoxifying and allow toxins to build up. So it's super important that people understand that. And now Dr. Spitz has gotten clinical funding to, to go ahead and show oh, this right. model of how one meal immediately starts impacting your health. And so it's going to be exciting to see his research come out. So everybody can listen to his interview. It's going to come out shortly. But Margaret. Oh, so much is happening. It's really exciting. It's so, so much exciting. And, and uh, I have so many more questions for you, Margaret, but we got to wrap up this show. And so what I want to do is invite you back to do a part two of this series, because I literally have about 30 questions here to ask you. And I want to get more into (laughs) the Max Gerson Foundation. I want to get more into um, the fact that your mom also did the Gerson therapy herself. And I mean, she got to live like into her 90s, which was incredible. How old was she when she passed away in March? She died of few weeks before her 97th birthday amazing and uh she wasted uh but she had no pathologies in fact you know the doctors would come to visit her and take her her you know her, her pulse and so on and they just the paper what medicines is she on nothing she wasn't on any no diabetes no arthritis no uh, no nothing Nothing. Her teeth. I took her to the dentist once because she had a bit of a pain in her tooth. And he he was talking about it for weeks to all his patients. They told me, you know, people told me that <laughs> he was raving about because she was missing, I think, two or three teeth. But that's it. That's it. I know. It's, it's all, really incredible. Yeah. And my grandmother just passed away in October at 92 years of age and she passed away. No disease. I mean, she was never on medication. She maybe had a little bit of higher blood pressure, but that's only because they started to introduce into her village um, the all the soy oils and the refined canola oh. oils into Africa. But this was only in the last couple of years. But I mean, yeah. other than, and she'd only use like maybe a drop, like not, that was it. But that was, and only if she can afford it. Most times she can never afford it. Because I mean, she grew yeah, up well, food that, and ate that, that's what saved her. Well, exactly. <laughs> and so the fact that she lived to 92 disease free in a literally no electricity, no water, no nothing, grew her own food. And she literally, when I was there in November, eating the food, um, we were eating Gerson food. It was onions and tomatoes and greens and potatoes yeah. and yams and like just, yeah. and you know, a yeah. little bit of grain. So the ratio of the grains to the vegetables and fruit were identical. You would eat things in season. You would eat everything with the skin on. Like it was exactly like doing Gerson minus they're not doing coffee enemas, but they're also not exposed to these toxins. That well, they don't need it. Exactly. They don't need it. You know, I have to tell you something. Not many people know. I don't even know if I should spread spread the word, but right. Dr. Gerson never took a coffee enema. Wow. 
but he also <laughs> had been living the therapy for so long, right? He had been so yes, clean. he had the tendency to not need it. You know, wow. you don't need it. That's amazing. And I, that's my wish for the world is that we can all get to the place where our bodies are just detoxifying as they're designed to do, neutrifying as they're designed to do. And we're stopping interfering with it with all the man-made chemicals and the crappy food that's on the market that's being perpetuated as healthy when it's not. It's not even real food. And I mean, that would be my dream for the world. But Margaret, Let's okay. wrap it up now and then let's schedule a yes. second podcast very soon because we In have got to get through so much um, information that, I mean, these are gifts that you are sharing with the world. It's all a of pleasure this information. to talk with you, anytime, anytime thank you. at all. Thank you, thank you, you, thank you. We'll let you know when the show comes out. Okay, Margaret? Okay. Thank and, you uh, so much. Have a good day and a good day to all your listeners. Yeah. And happy and healthy holidays to everyone listening as well. Uh, and to you, Margaret, and to your beautiful daughter and your husband, wishing you well. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye. You too. Welcome back to the show. I really hope that you enjoyed that session that I had with Margaret Strauss herself. I have so much admiration for this woman because she has gone up against some of the toughest entities the same way her mother, Charlotte Gerson, did and her brother, Howard Strauss, who is a dear friend of mine who passed away recently, and their grandfather and father, Dr. Max Gerson himself. So it's not easy teaching food as medicine in this world where we have food lobbies that are advocating for meat and dairy and sugar and salt and refined oil and refined products. And so it really takes a group of committed citizens to break through all of that false information and the poor science that has been supporting that and actually to present the 200 years of plant-based whole food nutritional medicine science that exists. So if you like this podcast, if you love this podcast, please share it with others because that's how we're going to get the word out there. If you liked any other episodes on this show, share those with others as well, because it's through storytelling, it's through these podcasts that we get to share this information and change lives. We've helped thousands of people around the globe reverse their chronic degenerative diseases. We want to help you. So check out our resources, nicoletterichet.com. You can check out our collection of plant-based whole food restaurants at greenmustache.com. Uh, know that we are moving into New York with 10 locations over the coming months and the next few years. So you're going to definitely want to get into one of those locations and get yourself some healing, nutrient-dense food. So thanks for being with us, everyone. Stay tuned for the next show on the Eat Real to Heal podcast. Bye-bye.